Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Thursday, May 26, 2022. Joining me for today's podcast for the first time in three or four weeks is my trio of tech fine journal, uh, journalists, uh, Stuart Walpin, who scribes for Popular Mechanics, U.S. News, Techlicious, Investopedia, and other fine publications. Rob Pegarero, who doesn't mind opening up an iMac when he has to. There's an inside joke there. But writes frequently on tech policy for Wirecutter, PC Magazine, and U.S. Today. And John Quain, who's a big fan of Downtown Abbey, uh, given that lamp in the background, who writes for the New York Times, Smart Cities, and Tom's Guide. Gentlemen, it's been a tough week, uh, not uh, for the whole country. Yeah. A lot. We're probably going to get into some of that, but um, all things considered, how are you? Hanging in there. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's good. Hanging in there, yes. Surviving another day in the wilderness. The yeah. the uh, daylilies outside are starting to bloom, so I got that going for me, which is nice. <laughs> And I, I just tested negative, so I'm, I'm really happy about that. <laughs> there you go. Celebration time at the yeah. Queen household. Yeah. Well, anyway, let's get into it because we're, I'm sure we're going to have a lot of uh, interesting dialogue on these topics. Let me bring up the uh, slides here. And, um, you know, I want to get into the kind of the fun one right off the bat. Well, kind of fun is that, uh, you know, with gasoline prices now going to mortgage level pricing, <laughs> You know, honestly, I filled my car up the other day in wonderful San Jose, California, and it was not even completely empty. It was, I was on three quarters of a tank, uh, one quarter of a tank, and it still was about $90. So yeah. that tells you where kind of gasoline is. Obviously, uh, my significant other who bought a Tesla a couple of years ago, and I laughed at her, you know, because <laughs> gasoline, you know, now she turns out to be the smart one, and I look like the idiot. But, you know, John, this is a topic that I want to get into. And, uh, Rob, I know you have some experience. You've been doing some lately, some um, some uh, demoing of a product or experiencing um, some uh, EV. Um, Just the life. Yeah, that we'll, we'll find that in a second. But it's a really interesting question in terms of are, are the appeal of plug-in hybrids, are they essentially dead? I mean, why would you, if you're going to go electric, once you go the whole way, you know, and, you know, the appeal of, of the uh, hybrid, you know, used to be that, hey, you don't have to worry about, you know, finding a, um, a charging station. It's kind of a, you know, half man, half beast type of solution. But, uh, John, what's your thoughts on where we are with hybrids? And well, let's get into that, first of all. Well, it changed, you know, my uh, I can I, you know, this is one of those I was wrong about something definitely uh, stories like you can look it up and it's kind of embarrassing. There's a New York Times story that I wrote like looking this up many now. years ago about is this the year for plug in hybrids? Right. Because at the time, everybody thought that that would be the bridge, mm. the gateway drug to getting your own EV. Right. Would be getting a plug in hybrid. And that way. You get about 30 miles of electric power on it. But then if it runs out, then you've got gas and everything's fine. But now things have flipped and uh, the attitude pretty much has been forget about plug in hybrids. And and one of the reasons why is that this, this complexity of them, right? You've got to have an internal combustion engine, an ice engine in the thing. And then you've got to also have all those parts that go along with all that and all the service that goes along with that. And then you've got to have some other way to convert that energy and use partial electric sometimes 
people are tapping into the transmissions and it, it's just it, it, it's a kludgy affair. Um, the reason I brought it up is that a couple of manufacturers, significant ones, are still in the plug-in hybrid bandwagon, and those are BMW and uh, Hyundai. And I just test drove, in fact, um, earlier this week, uh, Hyundai sort of lineup of electrified plug-in hybrids, and then the fully electric uh, Kona and the fully electric Ionic 5 again, which is a car I love, which people know I love. I've driven it before. Uh, put a lot of miles on it. Um, so the, the, the BEVs, the battery electric vehicles, are great. And so the plug-in hybrids work fine too, but it's just, eh, there's no real reason to get one anymore. Um, so that that's... Well, and, and John, on that point, uh, I, I think I told you guys about five or six months ago, I was due to upgrade my lease on my car and I went out and got, I got down to an Audi Q5 and right. there was a, a hybrid version of the Q5 it was about about a five thousand dollar difference between I two, was just and I, say. Right. but it wasn't the price difference. The the, the advantage in mileage wasn't that significant. I, I mean, I, I look, and that was when gasoline prices were were bad, but not as bad as they are today. I didn't find it that advantageous financially from a fuel saving standpoint. I, and maybe I was doing the calculations wrong, but I just didn't see a significant benefit from um, a um, a mileage standpoint. Well, part of it is the way the way they rate them, too, because, uh, you know, the only way a plug in hybrid really works out for you is if you are just driving a couple of miles during the day, maybe 15, 20 miles and you're not an aggressive driver and it stays in electric mode and then you come home and you plug in again and charge overnight. I mean, in that case, you're actually doing much better than what their charts will say about what the mileage actually is, because you're not crossing over. But um if you put your foot down, usually that kicks in the gas engine and, and a lot of other things. And, and so that that's why the ratings don't look that positive when you look at them. And most of them, I think when the first Lexus came out, there was a plug-in hybrid a few years ago. They got like 15 miles or something. I mean, it was negligible, right? Now they're more like 33 miles in that range of pure electric. So depending on the kind of driving you do, you could make it work. But again, right. it just the complexity you know the whole point of well not one of the one of the points of electric vehicles is the simplicity of it even with four-wheel drive you only have two motors no transmission you know no oil none of that stuff is going on and the battery and so you've got a lot less to deal with john john and you're just before i flip it over to rob to, uh, yeah. to get pull him into the conversation in your conversations with the um with car manufacturers because you deal a lot with them Right. Are you hearing that they're going to be announcing a, new, a lot of new models, little hybrid models, or is there, do you see a significant, hey, by the way, they're kind of phasing out their hybrid model introductions for you know the next model year? Uh, unless they had already started designing them about five years ago, most of the companies are not going to do plug-in hybrid versions. The thing about Hyundai is they had a platform that they developed a, a few years ago. So the electrification didn't catch them by surprise. The Ionic 5, which is a you know, a fabulous car. I mean, really, really great. Oh, you love that. I, I, you know, and I like, I actually like the, the, the commercials. I like the, I think it's really the best EV on the market. No question about it. Um, mm -hmm. And most people ride would agree with that. Um, but they have been planning that vehicle for quite a long time. It wasn't something that they quickly did in the last two years. So they were committed to this multi-platform plug-in hybrid and to a degree. So is BMW. They're afraid that look, they, their drivers want performance and if they're going to sell a car in, uh, you know, the middle of the country in the United States, well, there's no infrastructure for plugging in vehicles there. So 
have some plug-in hybrids at least for those those owners but um it's building a lot of different cars too and you don't want to have to do that if you can help it rob let me pull you into this because you've got quite a bit uh, to share on your experience. so yes i was out last week in the pacific northwest driving for pc mag as part of their fastest mobile networks drive testing which this year they decided to also have the double as a test of electric car charging infrastructure so they rented it. I don't want to know how much expense a Tesla Model Three from Hertz. Uh, <laughs> picked it up in San Francisco, drove it from there to L.A. A second driver took it from L.A. to, or maybe from SFO to Salt Lake City, and onward to Boise, where I picked it up. So I drove this bad boy from uh, Boise to Pasco, Washington, Pasco to Seattle. Spent a day driving around Seattle, testing networks. Seattle to Portland. Portland to Crescent City, California, which I now know is the last town of any size in California before you hit the Oregon State line. From there to Santa Rosa and then dropped it off at SFO around 6 a.m. last Monday. And it was really enlightening to see how widespread just Tesla superchargers alone are. And those are the ones where you, you plug the car in and this is charging at like 1-2% of battery a minute. So I found out this works really well with my fondness for naps. You get your lunch, you're feeling a little drowsy 30 minutes later, plot a course to a supercharger, park, plug it in, recline the seat all the way back. It's almost like a light flat seat if you want it. Take your power nap, you wake up, you've got another 20% of charge, you can go all the way to the hotel tonight. Uh, and it was I leave it to Rob to tie, you know, sleep you know, healthcare to. Uh, it's a real win-win. Saving, saving the planet. I like speed mapping. Super speed enlightening map. to enlightening is the right word, right? Uh, to number one, see how widespread this has gotten. When you know, I don't know if, how many of y'all have been on the roads in between these parts. There's a lot of empty space in eastern Washington State, eastern Oregon, uh, but the chargers are spaced sufficiently regularly. And I also found that in most cases where there would be a Tesla charger, there would be a, another charger with the plug that most cars use. Tesla really is the iPhone of cars because of course it has its own plug. Instead of the Lightning, right. they have the, the supercharger plug, which is not the same as the CCS plug almost everybody uses, including yes. the, the Hyundai we were talking about before. Right. There is a little adapter in, uh, in the back of the Tesla you can use with that other plug. And so, you know, two of the hotels I stayed at, it was a slow speed charger, but that's fine. You're parked overnight. You're all set in the morning. And so really there aren't that many drives where you'd necessarily be worried about it. Now there are some, I took a look at the supercharger map. And if you wanted to drive across uh, Nevada right. on US 50, the loneliest route in America, you'll be screwed because there's like basically nothing after Reno until you get, uh, I think right before the Utah state line. So you'll probably run out of a charge and you may wait for a while for somebody to show up. But for most drives, we're not talking edge cases. This is not like, you know, we're going to go through the desert for two days. Uh, the infrastructure is already in a really good state, and it's only going to get better because that's where the market's going. And certainly when gas is like $5 a gallon or more, that just increases the pressure. And JQ is totally right that if you go all electric, so much hardware that's been in the car that needs a lot of expensive maintenance, oil changes, spark plug replacement, right. whatever, not there anymore. It's just electric motors that turn at the wheels. And those are, you know, low mains devices. The batteries may not be. So I've thought for a while, our next car will not be a hybrid like the Prius we have now. It'll be battery electric. Now I'm sure of it. I just don't want to have to make that purchase now because it looks, 
so many <laughs> of these cars were either not sold on the East Coast yet, like the Ionic 5, or are backordered for months. And I also know that if I can, you know, wait another year, that's another year for everybody to work on the technology a little bit more, be my beta tester instead of me being their beta tester for once. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the, I cannot see any scenario where we would buy a, even a partly gas-powered car at this point. Well, well, let me pull the ultimate New Yorker into the conversation, Mr. Walpin, <laughs> uh, who uh, I don't believe is has been in the electric car market. But um, yeah, I, What do you well, like of the NTA's new subway cars? Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, I, I passed the Tesla dealership the other day. All right. I, I have been happily carless for 40 years. Um, and don't foresee, so I, I, I have a, I, I guess the tech historian in me is looking at this from a totally eagle's eye view of the entire industry. Part of the topic that you posted was induction charging, which is wireless charging, which at yes. some point will replace the wire. I mean, that's just, it's just going to happen. It's just an eventuality yeah. as will the death of the internal combustion engine. It will simply go, it is. All you have to do is look at history and the way that history runs from from electricity replacing oil to heat or light your homes um, to almost everything that has followed since. It is just a historical inevitability that our grandchildren will look at it, the idea of pulling into a, a building and putting liquid into your car to run it will just seem as weird. I was at at the Museum of the City of New York, there's an exhibition on pre-digital New York. And so they had all of these analog, it was analog New York or something like that. And they had an electric typewriter that people could play with. And there were these kids sitting there hitting the buttons in <laughs> wonder that this was something that people used. And I have a feeling that in 20 years, <laughs> maybe even sooner, we're going to have that same thing from kids who are 10 or who aren't haven't been born yet are going to be born into an age where a gasoline powered car is an anachronism. And what strikes me about this entire movement is almost the entire absence of the oil industry in understanding that this is going to happen. And I, all I keep thinking about is Kodak. This is the company that invented the digital camera, but didn't want it to cannibalize its film sales. So stalled on getting into the market. And where is Kodak now? And I had the sense that if the oil companies do not wake up to this inevitability and get themselves as heavily involved as possible in either battery development, in induction, in, in putting solar panels in roadways, all of the things that are going to happen. They're, it's just they're going to happen. Exxon and Shell and Chevron, all of these, again, are going to be the Kodaks 20 to 25 years from now. Hopefully, uh, you know, it, Amco too. And, and John, real quick before we hit the next topic here, because we, you know, uh, rightly so, Stuart brought up the the um, the induction issue for the audience. Let's explain what that is, because that may not be quite as um, clear to people. Because people are just used to, oh, well, electric car, I plug a cable into it and I charge it like my iPhone. Well, that's much more complex than that. But what is what is induction? What's the inject uh, the induction uh, component of this discussion? 
Well, induction will actually, it, it, some stovetops have it now. So you uh, basically it magnetizes. It's, it's an electric coil underneath to heat something up. And right. once you've, you've hit the, something that's also magnetic, it, it sends the electrons going crazy in that other object, not in the device itself, but in the, the pot in that case itself. So that, that's basically heating up and only the pot gets hot because only the yes. electrons are moving in that pot. They're not moving right. in, the, in the device. And there is various wireless technologies that people are trying with, uh, with, batteries, with battery electric vehicles. Um, and one uh, CEO pointed out to me um, that there's a lot of uh, cooptition going on in this cooperation and competition because all these companies are trying to work together and figure out how they can make the infrastructure work for themselves and the software needs to work with the car so even though when you plug a car in that that um charging station needs to recognize what kind of car it is model what capacity communicate it with you know with it it's not like just dumping a bunch of gasoline in the car. Same thing with these wireless charging systems. Um, their point is, it's probably, you know, I've always looked at it as it's terribly inefficient. You lose electricity when you try to power anything. And IBM has had this, you can charge something from across the room with their technology. It's just really kind of- And it has, has to be relatively short range too. Right, but you lose so much electricity. Really right. You tingle if you stand in the way. It's a, like it's a trickle, yeah, trickle charge. They let us stand in the way, but I don't know. I'm feeling kind of fuzzy. Um, but the uh, but industrial uses, fleets, Walmart awesome, right? of the world using that. That's where you get the autonomous vehicles already starting to test right now. And those trucks go to the warehouse to the store, and that's all they do. They don't want anybody touching anything. So if it can just pull in and sit there and charge for 20 minutes without anybody touching, then pull away again. There's no human has to plug it in or anything. And I think that's where you'll see the technology first adopted. And then when it gets more efficient and practical, we'll get it too. Yes. And, and by the way, induction charger, charging happens with cars, which inevitably will. There's all kinds of convenience and um, aesthetic thing, things that fall out of that because all of a sudden the bottom of the car becomes the charging um, element. You know, so they've been testing yeah. embedding uh, induction chargers in highways or at least short roadways yes. like a mile since 2015. And there are several companies also working on solar. So you would have photovoltaic cells in the roadway as, as well. So not only are these cells solar charged, but it also feeds solar energy back into the grid as well. So they're all matter. One uh, Fraunhofer executive likened the transition um to electrifying railroads now obviously there are a lot more highways than there are railroads but the railroad at one point was steam or diesel and now most of it is electrified and that was a transition that took place and it's it will take a lot of effort and it will take a lot of money it will take a lot of cooperation but it's again it's simply inevitable it's there are yeah. too many good reasons for it to happen for it not to happen and the only people standing in its way are the people who are profiting off the current system who are then going to be left behind when this thing's just finally happened. all they're doing is delaying it they are right. not going to stop it and if they don't get on board they're going to be out of the water completely well, let, let, let's uh, hit the next topic here. Uh, and this is obviously, this is going to be an interesting discussion. You know, um, 
a uh, Texas passed a law to, that allows essentially allows parents to sue social media companies when they can prove that their children uh, have been harmed. Federal court uh, appeals court, you know, upheld that uh, upheld that law. We'll see that obviously it will be challenged again, and we'll see if it's, ultimately probably we'll get to the Supreme Court, honestly. But you know, it, it, it's an interesting issue because looking at what this tragedy that just happened early in the week in Uvalde, in theory, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Stuart, is that parents who, whose children were harmed or, or harmed or died in, uh, in this issue, this tr unbelievably senseless tragedy, m could have an action against the social media company uh, the platform. And it, w it wasn't Facebook. It was a relatively... Um, not obscure, but uh, it was nice some of it was on Instagram. He was communicating with some right. some girl in Texas, in California, who didn't know who he was. So right, he, and apparently it was a, it was a, it was about thirty minutes before the actual shooting right. happened. They did, the the company didn't even have, didn't have the filters, didn't have the capability to jump mm -hmm. on it, and uh, and that's a whole discussion discussion which we'll probably get into. But Stuart, let me give you get, let's get your thoughts on this because I know that you have uh, some passion feelings about the topic well, this, this is, I'll, I'll tell you a little anecdote before i get into this i went to register something on the u.s government's copyright uh website that you can upload files and you can get a copyright on it and i'm going through the system and you're warned on several occasions that this government system for copyrights was designed to be used on firefox 2.0 navigator or Microsoft Explorer designed for Windows 7. Navigator. This is the government <laughs> that we are dealing with and, and who are trying to regulate big tech. Now, I read some of the court transcripts of the, of the appeals decision, and apparently a couple of the judges, to put it mildly, had no idea what they were talking about. They kept referring to Twitter as a service provider and claim that Twitter was not a website. And so therefore, if if they did any kind of what they called censorship or moderating of these panels, what would stop the phone company from listening in on people's calls and censoring phone calls? This was the logic that the court used for getting, and these are federal judges, that the FCC has rules and laws about phone companies and how they operate. So it's not a free-for-all out there. So this is the kind of decision-making that they are not recognizing the First Amendment as being applying only to government, not to private entities. They think that Twitter is a common carrier, which it is obviously not. It's a website. It's like trying to explain technology to these people and then allowing them to make decisions based upon their complete and utter ignorance of, of the topic is maddening. Yeah, yep. I, definitely. That wouldn't be the first time people said that about judges, Stuart. <laughs> well, you know, well it, yeah. it, it's, it's like these, don't these people actually use Twitter for crying out loud? I mean, to... To pretend that you know something about something and being in a position of power to 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 make a decision about it, doesn't it at least behoove them to at least educate themselves, to admit that maybe they're not as up on this as they might be? This harkens back to the Alaska senator who talked about the Internet as a series of tubes. Pipes. Pipes. His, his understanding was actually more grounded. Ted Stevens had a better <laughs> grasp. 
So we're talking yeah. about Texas HB twenty. Yeah. Bananas just to think that Ted Stevens knew more about how the, the internet worked than these Texas, these federal appeal judges in Texas. Yeah. So th this is a bill I've written about at some length, and it actually does a whole lot more than let parents sue. It lets basically anybody right. sue and essentially yeah. outlaws any form of content moderation by social media unless it's direct incitements of violence, it's, um, you know, Fire in a movie theater. trafficking kids. Right. It was essentially written by people who should know better, accomplished people in the Texas State House, who I guess were so pissed off that social media banned Trump and a lot of his very vocal supporters, right. and wrote this bill by its text would require Facebook, Twitter, and you know any other large platform to let ISIS advocates back on, let the QAnon nutcases back on, let the anti-vax conspiracists back on. It would destroy that entire category because advertisers don't want to be next to the QAnon kooks and the anti-vaxxers and the ISIS freaks. Um, the crazy thing is these judges bought that line of BS and then released a one-page statement. I should say two or three judges. It was not unanimous. It was a panel of the Fifth Circuit saying, we let the stand. No explanation at all, which I thought was something you were supposed to do as a judge. You write an opinion. Now, at the same time, the Eleventh Circuit struck down most of the provisions of a less sweeping Florida law that said you can't censor anything, like really anything from a political candidate who has filed under Florida law, and you can't censor posts about that candidate. So you right. candidates could, I guess, advertise with porn, which would be an interesting method, might work well in certain Florida areas, who knows? Um, and the judges said, no, that this completely violates the First Amendment, because remember, it's not just that you and I have a right to say what we want, you know, I can't make <laughs> you, any of you, carry my thoughts, carry my opinions, even though they're right and you're wrong, I can't make you do it. <laughs> and that applies to private companies too. You can't have the state saying, you, you're going to have to carry speech that you hate because we say so. That's not how this works. The judges in the 11th Circuit recognized this. The ones in the 5th did not and couldn't be bothered to explain it. So probably where you have a circuit split, this means our, my neighbors in the Supreme Court will get to weigh in on this at some point. And hopefully they, they, they do remember the text of the First Amendment and how it doesn't really allow a whole lot of <laughs> I don't think so. working around. <laughs> you, you can't ask, your way around it and say, no, you're a common carrier. That's not how it works. I, I got I to ask John this question. Uh, I'll be a bit, of a, a bit of a contrarian here. But don't you think a social media company, whether it's a, a, a communications platform, whether it's a um, whatever the platform is that encourages people to share their digital media, their messages, their feelings, whatever. Don't you believe they have a responsibility that if a threat, someone makes a direct threat. In this particular case, it seems that it was a direct threat. They did have 30 minutes. Now, whether that would have made a difference, who knows? But the technology does exist, whether it's bots or other tools where they, they can flag information. Now, again, probably the feedback is, well, if we flagged every single time someone made a threat, you know, it would tie up 25,000. Um, I'm making a number up. It, it, it would be too overwhelming to report that number. But aren't, at the end of the day, I'm, I, I, if I'm a parent and I tragically lost a child and I knew that this this evil person and he was evil by any definition he might have been he's probably he was absolutely psychologically imbalanced but he committed an evil act to kill 18 children 19 who absolutely were defenseless that night was it 19 yeah mm -hmm. and and a couple of uh teachers if i'm not mistaken yeah. right 
don't you think that if I'm a parent and they had the heads up that they could have done something, even if it was a false flag type of thing. And, you know, so, and I understand that, that you get into very tricky ground here, but if you're a social media platform and you're signing up to do that, don't you have some level of responsibility to see if you can provide some type of reporting capability? I, yeah, I think you do probably, but, and, you know, law enforcement, some of these, um, uh, technology companies actually do work with law enforcement and some yes. of these things. And, you know, we've had issues before with uh, swatting that still goes on and things like that. Um, you know, the only reason that swatting is slowed down is because police departments have gotten, you know, they've gotten used to having that happen. So they're the ones, but um, sure there is some responsibility. And I think, you know, Buffalo was a more egregious example too, where the guy put it live online. You know, yes. and um, then right. Facebook, yeah. Facebook, which is probably one of the worst, um, you know, notorious had those links up forever. Yes. Most of the other sites took them down within minutes. But so I, uh, that, Facebook I don't, I don't it, get it that. I don't get that. Quite a while. I don't get that. It was circulating for quite a while. It's it's all about, you know, to me, I'm much more cynical about this. It's all about the money. All those judges, they're all elected. Right. All that money pouring in, uh, all not, Twitter, not the, Facebook. Not the, no, not the federal are, level. Federal level, they're not appointed. at the federal. Lifetime yeah, not at the federal level, but those when they first go, you know, the first cases come through. It's like, oh yeah, of course it's a, you know, it's just a service provider because that's what Twitter and Facebook are paying millions of dollars in lobbying to get those people to say. They, they're their disinformation campaign is tremendous, right? It's unbelievable amount of money getting poured out there. So it's not so much that the judges are lazy. Sometimes I think, nah, you know, maybe they want to run for office. There, there's a lot of money flowing around there. So I'm much more cynical. Supreme Court would obviously be different, you know, when it when it gets there. And I think Rob's right; it will, because so many people are passing laws like this, um, and they they kind of want to have it as a service provider. So. It's not that there's no censorship. You can't monitor it at all, but then you can't monitor it for these other violent things too. You can't have it both ways. Either, you know, you're on the bus or you're off the bus. So no, and, and, and I, I, I get that. I just think there needs to be some type of, if there was going to be any legislation, the legislation needs to be that if you're a social media platform, there has to be some type of reporting capability. Now, again, that's not going to, that's not going to, that probably would not have prevented this 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 crisis from happening. But no. it's kind of like, hey, I live in California out here. They don't. The the whole idea was if we could give people a two minutes heads up on an earthquake, it would save lives, you know. And they they've tried to develop tech, you know technology right. to do that. I think you can make that same argument for social media. You know that if if you make an explicit threat, I am you know, every, that kid had an IP address. Right. Uh, he was specific of where he lived. They could have contacted the local police authorities to to do something. Now you had that situation in Buffalo, where the kid, kid made threats, and the, the, the police did investigate that, but they let him off the hook. Oh, I was kidding. I just wanted to get out of class. Well, guess what? You know, they're, they're, you know it's kind of like you cry fire in a crowded theater. Whether there was a fire or not is irrelevant. You create a commotion and you put people at risk. So I, I just I just think that the the social media platforms have an obligation to do a better. Um, you, but I very, think again, you're going to have to be on the bus then, and you're not going to allow people back on Twitter after they've, you know, basically su submitted information on Twitter that killed people. 
That's mm. the end of that. Your Twitter account is gone. And I don't think that there is anything really wrong with that. I don't think it's a First Amendment right at all. And with these live video feeds, look, I love this technology. I've been doing this since 1990-something video conferencing. But should some of these services provide an instant service to live stream things like that? Maybe not. And would that be so terrible if they just say, we can't police it. There's no way we can stop. It's fundamentally impossible to police a live video feed. AI right. only gets you so far. Right. Um, so why not just take it away and just say, you know what? We don't have that feature anymore. Facebook loves that engagement. You, you, yes. can't, you can't put the genie. You cannot, technologically speaking, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. In the bottle. It, it, no, just from a historical point of view, it, every time you try to put the genie back into the bottle, the genie just gets more powerful. It's just the way think, that it is work. <clears throat> but I think this is, excuse me. What about smoking? This is, People this don't smoke anymore. This is addressing, um, it's not a technology. Uh, that's behavior. And even that hasn't Lost. ended smoking. It just cut it down and then now it's moved to vaping. So that's why I'm saying that it just it amplifies it. It doesn't, anytime you try to, to legislate behavior, you end up, with all sorts of unintended consequences. I am glad people are not smoking, but they're and and can, can you say Stuart, can you say prohibition? Brothers out there, right. this prohibition is certainly really part of that. I work from that well. a point of view, putting this all on social media and not on trying to keep dangerous weapons out of the hands of potentially well unbalanced individuals is the real problem if he right. wasn't able to buy a gun right after his um, an assault what rifle yep. after his 18th birthday social media would have had no play in this plus the fact that it took 30 minutes for the cops just to respond to the initial 911 call and there's controversy about the whole so to expect social media to to right. bear the brunt of this i think no no I, 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 i'm not I'm, I'm not suggesting that i am not suggesting it's 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 the disease and not and not the cause right i i and just to end this i mean you know my view on this is that i am you know a fairly staunch defender of the second amendment i think you guys would probably have not have probably <laughs> guessed far off that I'm, I, I take that position however i'm a strong believer that assault style weapons don't really have a place with with um, the average homeowner, you know, or a average resident. Number one, right. number two, there needs to be standardization around the back uh, the background check process because it varies from yeah. state to state. You know, as you got all know, some of them are pretty, you know, are, are pretty exhaustive. For example, in California or New Jersey, um, you know, try buying a gun. It, it, you can get a gun, but New it's York. not going to be the day, right? But they, I think they should also add a layer of, of screening that when you, you fill out that application for a gun, you should be interviewed. You should, there needs to be some, as, as laborious as that might be. And that uh, panel of people, two or three people should, should be able to make a, uh, should be able to read between the lines of something that's not captured uh, that a, a criminal background check would capture. Like I, I committed a crime. Well, this kid out in Texas didn't have a criminal record. But a, a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist might have been able to pick up this kid has, has had a lot of problems. And I, I have the authority to prevent him from buying a gun. You know, so anyway, tragedy, 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 tragedy. But I, I, we have a couple of minutes left. And I do want to uh, grab this last topic here. Oh, we have one more. No, yeah, yes. one more. This is long take a few minutes. Like not awful. So that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I had to really address this topic because I tried to buy 
an Xbox <laughs> Series X for my uh, for a family member. And you know, you would think that the, the Xbox and the PlayStation, the new gen models, have been out for um, now over a year. Yeah, still can't get walk into a store and buy one. And if you try to buy it online, now obviously you've only been able to buy it on eBay and exorbitant pricing. But even if you try to buy it through other non-traditional ways, the the um, the premiums that they're getting are outrageous, like two hundred dollars over or more, depending on the, the model you want to get. And part of the issue is this this, this notion that these these I, I want to call them scalpers, scammers, flippers, whatever you want to call them. I wrote about it. Um, in my newsletter um, uh, yesterday, is that they, you can buy this very easy-to-use software um, from these, these software developers. It essentially allows you to create a bot that will go to a website and automatically buy product when it shows up. So when, the, when, when Walmart gets their online shelves refilled with new, um, um, new Xboxes, guess what? That lasts for about three minutes because someone prepaid them and they buy them and then they, of course, resell that. The question I have for all of you, because this activity is not illegal, by the way, it's perfectly legal. Stuart, do you think that's something that should be made illegal or that, or do you think there should be some regulation on it? Because to me, it just, it's encouraging uh, inflation, maybe in a different way, but it's not just, by the way, you can find the video game consoles, it's sneakers, right. any hard to find product uh, the, uh, that the, you know, the, this uh, situation arises. But, but Stuart, what's your take on the whole I'll body? be honest. I had not even heard of these until you listed this as a company. I mean, I can I can call up a company and say I want to review X and they will send it to me in most cases. So the idea of, of hiring or buying a bot to go out and buy it for me, I my needs are far simpler than that. Um, but just having read a little bit about it, again, legislating against this sort of thing is difficult simply because you have idiots writing the legislation and these and <laughs> you're always you going back to that you blame the out, it you always leads it always leads to unintended consequences um i i don't consider myself ne necessarily a complete and absolute capitalist but in some ways i we're at the beginning of this and perhaps the private industries the Walmarts and the other retailers of the world will recognize that this is actually hurting them um, in the long run with their customers and will themselves try to institute some sort of software solution to limit the effectiveness of these things that would essentially either disable them or, or lessen their impact. But um, right. to, to rely on government who think that Twitter is a common carrier to write legislation on this is just, an, just that scares me more than the bots do. And I think you're, you're spot on in terms of you would think the Amazons of the world, the Walmarts, the targets would, would don't want this to happen because right. it creates customer dissatisfaction. It also clogs up the supply chain. It's just not a good idea for them to, and so they'll write their There's own. There's no solution. lifetime value yeah. in selling to a bot. There's no lifetime customer value to that. The bot's no, not going to love the Rob, retailer anymore. Like but a Rob, person will. But Rob, does the cynical part of you saying that Amazon and Target doesn't care because they don't care? Amazon might not. Right. Go ahead. Rob, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a problem. I don't know. It's a problem that needs to be solved by a law when it's 
you know, this is, is as annoying as the situation might be. It's something the market does know how to solve. There's a lot of demand. There's money to be made. So the manufacturers, the retailers, they will address this at some point. And I, I think the retailers have their own issue to address this, which is that if bots can execute purchases this well, there's all sorts of other misses you could probably have see happen. I don't think you want to have a whole lot of programmatic transactions happening on your site because uh, mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot harder to, to get after the, the non-existent non-human customers should anything go wrong later on. So, you know, they have all the motivation they should need just as good capitalists to come to grips with this problem. Well, yeah. and, and John, you, I'm tr- back in your day when you were a young man, when you were in your late teens and you wanted to buy a, a um, I'm going to date myself when I said this, <laughs> when you wanted to buy a concert ticket to watch right. Peter Frampton in Madison Square Garden, <laughs> and, there, and there was only 500 tickets on sale. You went down to, down to 33rd Street and you got online at five o'clock in the morning and you hope, I mean, I guess my point is, is that this is, is really, it's, it's, it's not a Ponzi scheme, but really it's, it's, it's a 21st century example of a scalping, you know, frankly. And right. now, <clears throat> go, ahead. Right. go ahead. Well, there, then that, that's what I kept thinking of. And, and there's already a solution for that. I mean, if you try to do that at Ticketmaster or, you know, anything online trying to buy tickets, it doesn't work. And it doesn't right. work because there's a really simple software solution. It's just if you get hit that many times from the same IP address, IP address off, it blocks you. Yep. Right. You just cut them off. So that's right. all you need to do. That's all that Walmart or Amazon need to do. Um, to you know, they have lots of other issues. So, you know, as everybody during the pandemic, as we've all learned, you know, everybody's behind on work. Everybody's, you know, the stakes are being made much more frequently than before, seems to me at least. And it's all because we're kind of overworked and overstressed. And this is something that they need to address that Rob, you know, is right. They do have a motivation to, to clean it up and fix it um, because it is, as you point out, like scalping. They don't want things resold on the market or turn around like, well, I buy it off of Amazon. And what's happening is, you know what they do? They turn around and sell it on Amazon under a different name. Under the, under the marketplace. The market oh, right. which is, it's a really which good is deal. It's the most bizarre thing, right? And a lot of Chinese companies, people are sitting there in China changing company names constantly. And so you see these new names and that's where the product shows up and it says Stuart said twenty dollars more thirty dollars more fifty dollars more you know so it, it's it's a whole industry going on there and maybe because Amazon makes money off of all that they don't want to stop that I don't know well Stuart I'm gonna warn you don't download that software I don't this whole thing reminds me of waiting in line to buy an iPhone and seeing people online who would go online and they had wads of cash and they would buy a dozen of these new iPhones which you know that they were going to then turn around and sell and what Apple did was restrict purchases to two phones because they understood that this was happening so this is simply the technological high tech version of that right it's an example of greed greed is not good in this situation well guys (laughs) listen (laughs) thanks for taking the time to join me for today's podcast for a viewing and listening audience Thanks for making the Smart Tech Check podcast part of your day or commute. Please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Mark Tech Guy. If you haven't already, please make a donation to the Red Cross or your preferred charitable organization to help the brave people of Ukraine in their time of need. And until next time, have a great week. And thanks, guys. Thank you.
take care. Mm-hmm.